Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show. Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Today, uh, we have with us uh, Jillian Ballow, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, uh, who is a um, state superintendent, but also the uh, president of the Chief State School Officers Association, uh, and she is calling in today from Wyoming. Welcome, Jillian. Thank you so much, Mr. Perkins. What an opportunity this is. I appreciate well, it. We're so glad to have you, and and um, to our listeners out there who have uh, joined us again, welcome back, and we'll, thank you for being a part of our family of over 5,000 listeners every month. We have had um, quite a few more shows over the last few weeks than monthly. And um, a lot of it has to do with topics of considerable concern related to the COVID-19 pandemic. And we're just delighted to have uh, Jillian with us today um, to talk a little bit about her organization and um, a lot of questions I have um, with uh, regard to the the plans that state school officers are, are certainly uh, uh, debating at this time. And so uh, I'm going to jump right in. Um, Jillian, I know that there are probably a lot of people out there who weren't aware that the state superintendents, state commissioners in some states uh, all have a, a group of colleagues, of peers that they um, uh talk with and meet and discuss the issues across the U.S. um, at that level. And so I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell the listeners a little bit about your organization and why you exist and what you do, that you are the president at the time. Sure. Well, thanks so much for um, that, that great introduction to the Council of Chief State School Officers, or as we all have acronyms, it's CCSSO. And the great thing about the Council for Chief State School Officers is that it's a a wonderful um, gathering platform and network for state chiefs. Um, They're called different things in different states. In some states, they're secretaries or commissioners or superintendents. And so we all just kind of collectively call ourselves state chiefs. Um, You know, in about one-third of the states, the the state chiefs are elected, um, which is the case in Wyoming, where I am from. Uh, And about one-third, they are appointed by uh, governor, and in about one-third, they're hired by a state board. So it's really an interesting mix of um, educational leaders, and we're tasked with um, a couple of things. No matter how we come to the job, we're really tasked with leading education in our states um, as influencers, as policymakers, as education experts, um, as networkers, as partners. 
And um, so it's really an honor uh, to, to be a state chief, first of all, but also to be affiliated with CCSSO, which um, is just a, a leading organization uh, when it comes to policy and education leadership. Uh, you know, not only do they kind of lead the conversation, but they also uh, have so many partners in superintendents and state school boards and governors, et cetera. So it really is quite quite a um, critical network of state chiefs across the nation, and it's an honor to serve as the president. Well, I'm, I uh, personally, I used to be on the uh, board of directors for the National School Boards Association, and uh, I am familiar with your organization and um, the important role that it plays, and uh, I know the work that you you are engaged in, and and also just thank you for uh, being a part of that and and in charge of so many different aspects of the 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 education systems of in different states. So uh, we appreciate it. I I wanted to talk a little bit since we are in the middle of this um, COVID. 19 pandemic and it's been the topic that we've had uh, going on all all month actually different perspectives and I I thought to invite you uh, to be on the show and again thank you for accepting the invitation um, I thought to invite you to be on the show because I you know we we are watching um, with bated breath almost um, daily at the reports about um, states reopening, and there are a number of us and uh, my colleagues and I have been talking about what is to come, what's next, um, how can we open up states, and a big part of that conversation is around uh, schools and education, and there have been a number mm-hmm. of states that have already called it and said, hey, um, there's no more school for the rest of the term. And so the way I see it is that, or at least the way I imagine it, I should say, is that, you know, you have these, you you have the governors um, who are making a lot of decisions. Uh, I wanted to Mm -hmm. just hear from you, how much are these state chiefs being brought into the conversation, actually? Uh, Because we don't hear a lot um, from, from them, even though there are a lot of people talking about um, education and what's going to happen with schools. So I wanted to hear from you. What what are you hearing from around the country about the the discourse that's happening between those state level education, um, uh, those in charge of education at that level, and then the governors? Yeah. So you know, um, we we have a, a lot of conversations um, as we go uh, through this interesting time um, in America. And as state chiefs, um, I haven't talked to one state chief who is not working closely with both their governor and their state health officer. And the interesting thing here is that state chiefs are very used to making education decisions with education partners. But now all of a sudden, we as state chiefs know a whole lot more about things like PPE and health orders and things that we never um, really had to consider so much in the past. Um, We are also, you know, really working shoulder to shoulder with our governors, but often behind the scenes, uh, you know, giving, um, giving advice 
being the conduit between um, the governor and the health officer and school districts and um, and in some other ways as well. And um, maybe one of the most interesting things about this time is that every state is approaching it a bit depending on mm. where they are on the curve of COVID-19, um, how far into it they are, um, the approach that the governor or that the state is taking in terms of shelter in place or um, school closures or however, but um, but again, I haven't heard of one state where the state chief is not leading alongside um, the governor and, and really um, not only giving advice, but taking advice as well in terms of how to make some of those tough decisions. Uh, you know, for a little bit of context, uh, I, I know a lot of state chiefs are standing shoulder to shoulder with governors at some of their press conferences um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and also with their health officers. But behind the scenes, really thinking about, you know, schools are an essential service. And while, sure. um, what, and, and, and that's tricky because a lot of essential services has, have remained open, but it's just been too unsafe to keep schools open through this. And so, um, you know, really trying to see, even though um, schools don't drive revenue, for a community or for a state, they really are an essential service in so many other ways. And so we all want to see schools reopen safely, um, but also um, reopen so that we have we have kids back in schools, um, you know, but we have to make decisions uh, alongside business decisions and, and obviously led by the health officer and um, what's best in terms of, of the health and safety of, of our citizens. So um, it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag and I'm trying to talk generally about it because every state chief has a very different dynamic that they're working mm -hmm. with. Um, but, but there are some similarities. We all see the sure. importance of school. We're all closed down, you know, in Wyoming, right? Um, we have limited in-person instruction uh, happening today. Uh, and in some other states, they've never even shut down schools. And in some states, they've shut them down for the rest of the year. So we sure. all have just a little bit of a different dynamic to work with. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you for that. That's, that's a very um, helpful picture you've described uh, around the country. And certainly, I know that there are some of us that were completely unaware that schools in some places might still be doing limited instruction or any instruction at all. Um, I, I, and which is something I, I do also want to talk about uh, just even about the, the future um, where there are people who are looking forward to August and September and thinking, so what are we, what's going to be in place? How do we, how do we deal with uh, a, a new, uh, entirely new dynamic in school where children uh, are expected to be kept safe? Um, and, and so my question to you, uh, given that you've heard a lot of different stories, uh, I'm sure at this point, what are, what are people thinking out there about what school might look like in September or August. Um, and I know a lot of it depends on where we are, but what are they preparing for? Because I know I've had to um, be, I've been in that situation too recently of having to think about what if. And so what are some mm -hmm. of the, what are the, some of the things that you're, you're hearing from your various states about the what ifs? 
Yeah, you know, this is a place where the Council of Chief State School Officers has really led um, it with uh, not just the what ifs, but really the what's happening <laughs> and what mm -hmm. needs to happen. So combining best policies that are already starting to take place or take shape through special legislative sessions and um, and also, uh, you know, working with other partner organizations like National Governors Association, um, state school boards, uh, and and so on. And so, um, you know, I, I think that, that there's a, a pretty common agreement that we, re we need to rethink um, some central central traditions around education, uh, not just, you know, sitting in a classroom together and thinking about social distancing and how do we make that happen, but also taking some lessons learned from um, these remote learning um, days that we've had and, and try to rethink, uh, you know, what, what's good about that? What do we need to maintain? Uh, I'll, I'll give you some examples. Number one, um, we did not use a, a statewide assessment this year um, in, in any state uh, that was waived by the federal government, and every state took advantage of that. And as a result, um, I think that's a really good opportunity for us to rethink assessment. We know we need to know where our students are. Um, we know that assessments um, are important, an important um, marker, temperature check to do that, but is the way that we've assessed the very best way to do it? And so um, another partnership that CCSSO will, um, you know, lead, uh, lean in on and allow um, for some discourse in the coming months is with, um, with our assessment partners and rethinking what statewide assessments look like. Um, another area is social-emotional well-being of students. What we've seen while, uh, while kids have been home is a drop in reporting in abuse and neglect. And it's not because kids are doing better. It's because schools are the number one reporter. So how can we do our diligence as, um, as educators and as reporters of abuse and neglect when not all of our students or not all of our families have the confidence to send their kids to school um, for whatever reason, health and safety. Maybe they live with grandma and grandpa. Maybe they are, are, are compromised themselves. Uh, and so we, we really have some of those challenges to overcome. But then on the other side of that, there are some really great things that have come out of distance learning and remote learning. And one is um, sort of this, this uh, you know, blended learning concept where students can access quality teaching and learning on, um, on a platform like Zoom or Google Classroom or Canvas as well as um, in, in the brick-and-mortar classroom. So how do we leverage technology in ways that we just have not done in the traditional classroom to enhance education, enhance opportunities for students, and, um, and improve the overall structure and delivery of teaching and learning? So mm -hmm. while there are some daunting challenges ahead of us, there are also some really wonderful opportunities to improve education and to reform education in ways that we've thought about before, but we haven't had the opportunity to do. And we've put up a lot of roadblocks. And now with COVID-19, those roadblocks are gone. So why don't we just use this as an opportunity to flip the switch and make some necessary changes to education mm -hmm. um, that, mm -hmm. that, that, will, that will make it better? Sure, sure. Thank you for that. For those of you who are just joining us, 
Uh, you've reached the Perkins platform, and we have Superintendent Jillian Vallow from Wyoming, who is also the current president of the Council of Chief State School Officers. Uh, we're talking about, from state leadership perspectives, education leadership perspectives, what are some of our next steps? And we've been talking about uh, various aspects of, of, of the education endeavor Um, And I want to go back to something you just mentioned about leveraging technologies, because as many of us have heard um, on the news, Governor Cuomo of of New York has uh, mentioned that he's partnering with the Gates Foundation to reimagine education. And one of the central questions, and I'm going to tell you quite honestly, that has uh, a lot of people questioning what's next. And not necessarily in a in a bad way or a good way, but a cautious way, is the question of why do buildings exist? And so it's making a lot of people uneasy. And like, what are we what are we about to do here? Um, and and I just wanted to hear your thoughts. I know that this has been essentially around the state of New York, but. Um, there are other places that are, are thinking about this, hearing that, and I agree with you wholeheartedly that there are some traditions that we could stand to do without. Uh, there are others that have a place that are, that are traditions but are also a part of a developmental, um, a developmental path that, ch- that we have, have seen time and time again uh, work for a lot of children in terms of their needs. And so I do want to get your reaction, if you will, or even your thoughts about the the question that people are bringing up about why do buildings exist and that technology can help us uh, do more for more children. Uh, what do you, what, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, well, you said a couple of things. Um, number one is is this development that children go through. And um, a big part of that is social development. And it's really tough to, to, to replace that with technology. Mm-hmm. Um, we can mm-hmm. re- replace it temporarily, and we can replace it in part, but we can't replace it entirely. We need to have face-to-face interactions with people. Um, it's, it's how we're wired as a culture. It's how we're wired as human mm-hmm. beings. And, um, and the other key key statement that um, that you made was was how how can technology help us achieve that? And I don't think that um, you know there are too many people who are interested in seeing traditional brick and mortar classrooms go completely by the wayside and be completely replaced by um, by technology. Um, but I do think that there is a place to um, to have hybrid models. Uh, again, either on a temporary base or on a on a perm or excuse me on a um, on a on a hybrid basis where where students or and or teachers can flip back and forth between mm-hmm. um, between technology and the brick and mortar classroom. But you know, I, I I'm I'm going to circle back around to um, schools are are a big part of every community, uh, whether it's urban or rural or suburban. Um, schools are the place where many kids feel safe, um, where many kids learn their positive interactions and gain positive and trusting relationships. They, they learn things like resiliency and, um, and trust 
and they learn how to appropriately interact and behave. And it's not that, that they don't learn those things at home, uh, but they're reinforced and they're learned differently at school. And so it's important that we always recognize the value of school buildings, and it's not the building them, the itself. It's what happens inside of the building, and it can't be replaced Absolutely. by technology. So I Absolutely. think that there's a balance here that we need to strike. Um, you know, we've seen the um, one end of, of the extreme uh, literally overnight. We were in school one day and not in school at all mm-hmm. the next. Mm-hmm. And, sure. um, and that's that's been really tra- tough and really um, traumatic for um, for certain students, especially those that are at risk. For others, it's been really positive. Um, you know, maybe mom and dad are home. Maybe their academics isn't what motivates them, so they've they've adapted to a, an online learning platform. And I would imagine that there may be some students that go, don't go back to traditional brick and mortar as a result. And public education really needs to step up and recognize that we can we can offer some of these choices and make some of these changes within the context of public school. And I think mm-hmm. that's where you'll see the the um, conversation with uh, my cohorts across the state led by the Council of Chief State School Officers um, really land is, you know, what is what is that balance? We don't we to undervalue um, the social emotional aspects of of school, but at the same time, we don't want to um, undervalue the presence of technology and blended learning in in the lives of our our students because we know that um, as adults, that's how our workforce operates, that's how our global society operates, and um, so how do we kind of how do we strike that balance? How do we get the best of both worlds? And, and I think we're well on our way to having those conversations. Um, there are some great partners, as you mentioned, the Gates Foundation, and there are so many other um, really great partners in education who will help us figure this out. But um, again, you know, the, the chief state school officers in every state are working with policymakers, both within their state and nationally, to, um, to try to wrap our arms around this and have some of these big conversations as well. Sure. Um, and thank you for that. It's very helpful. Um, there, there have been a number in, in not just education, been a number of ways and places where we have, um, we've discovered that technology can help us in, a, in, in our lives. Uh, I, I saw an ad recently where someone said, um, some company said, uh, uh, telemedicine is here to stay. Uh, that mm-hmm. this is the way that for some non-emergency uh, circumstances you can you can have a doctor's appointment, and I think about that from an education perspective. Um, I, I mentioned to some of my colleagues that say, "Well, let's let's think about this for a moment." One idea I had is that um, in in some of the states, and maybe Wyoming is one of them uh, as well. There's some states that. Uh, some years they there are two weeks or more that are lost in instruction to snow days and I said so mm-hmm. what's a snow day now what what what's the purpose or what would a snow day be um, what if we think about this as the opportunity to say for the next three days because of inclement weather we're going to we're going to have distance learning days and mm-hmm. and so where where technology is available um and in a in a very positive way and 
and and in an equitable way, uh, we'll do this. Um, and so there's just a lot of of things that I think would we, we can benefit and we can learn from this. Uh, there have been some districts that I've heard talking about uh, that that they've been pushing for a very long time to have technology in the hands of every child. And so maybe this will push some of the policymakers, but some of the, even the local school boards uh, to make mm-hmm. different decisions about how they are spending money on technology. So I, I agree with that as well. And, and when you came, you mentioned testing, um, there are a lot of people that for a lot of different reasons that really put their emphasis on what the tests say. And, and almost anyone who opposes that wants us to, they, they say things like, well, you don't want all children to learn. And I, I've maintained that testing tells you something sometimes. It doesn't tell you mm-hmm. the entire picture. As you've so aptly mentioned, uh, the, the social-emotional aspect of development. Um, which brings me to, since you, you mentioned testing, this question of retention and promotion, we have mm-hmm. students that have almost missed three months or will have missed three months of their year. Uh, what, what's the plan? What are you hearing about not just who are we going to retain, but how will we know who has, who has the, the skill set to be successful going forward and say from grade three to grade four or grade eight to grade nine. And, 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 and just one other quick thing that I I'll tell you that I, I, I read in a newspaper recently where one school board made the declaration that no child will be, will fail um, during COVID. They're going to get a pass or uh, it's a, the, the grades are going to be pass high pass or something along those lines. And, and so that's at a local, very local level. But to mm-hmm. me, it seems like that's something that warrants a, a bigger discussion. And so I wanted to hear your thoughts also about what happens in the fall when children show up again. Hopefully they'll be able to be back in school in the fall. And they've missed three months plus the summer break of their school year. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, you know, it's been a really interesting evolution. Um, as a as a former teacher, um, and now as the state chief of Wyoming, um, I can tell you, for the first few days of um, of school closures, I was going in my mind, just going, oh my gosh, how are we going to catch these kids up? And with every passing day, it was like, oh wait, this isn't about kids anymore catching up. This is about a system being prepared to meet kids where they come. Um, so, you know, whether that is with two months of, um, of remote instruction or three months of remote instruction, or whether it's um, a student who maybe has not done much other than maybe connect with their teachers a few times and, and maybe they've got extenuating health circumstances or other stressors in the home that have, um, that have pushed academic success down on their priority list. And so I think as a culture, as a society, as um, an as ed- education system, we need to really reshift our, our thinking and our system to meet kids where they are. 
and um, and go from there. So uh, as states, we've really honed uh, key transitions for students, um, transitions into kindergarten, transitions into post-secondary, transitions from um, one grade level to another. And we've tried to be much more deliberate or fluid in our thinking um, around that. So I think you'll see, uh, you know, and you mentioned local decisions, and that will be key. Um, you'll see different local strategies uh, in school districts at state levels that may say, you're going to start your school year out in the grade that you were in last year. The first six weeks are going to be catch up. And then we're going to race through your, you know, grade promotion for the rest of the school year. And maybe that's their strategy, um, you know, is to, to almost retain every student for the first six weeks of school. Some other schools may have teachers that loop with their kids. So they've already had, you know, almost a full year with their kids this year, and maybe they'll follow them to the grade next year to really be able, you know, not spend those first few months getting to know their students and where they are. They'll be able to jump right in and, and help them succeed. Um, you may also see some, some other strategies take place. Uh, and, and we have yet to maybe understand what those look like. But, um, but I think that the very best place for those decisions to be made is at the local level because they know their capacity, they know their student population, they know, um, and, and every single school district in America has the, has the great teachers and leadership to um, make the best decisions at the local level. So at the state level, our best, um, our best work is really setting a framework and guiding school districts as they make those important decisions. And, um, and that'll be key. Um, you know, the, the other thing that you talked about and touched on was equity. And, um, and this has been a really interesting time. I think we've unearthed some equity issues that we haven't seen before. Um, we know that teachers who have, or excuse me, that students that have access to great teachers do better and that not all kids have access to great teachers. But what we've seen in COVID-19 is some of the best teachers are really struggling to be effective um, with mm -hmm. online learning. And mm -hmm. so I think as we go forward and think about solutions, we have to be careful not to create new problems with our solutions. And, mm -hmm. um, and that, that will be tricky. Um, but, but I know, again, we have so many great educators and so many great leaders across this nation. We have a, um, a system or a structure in place in every community to make great decisions. And now our job as state chiefs is to really support that with a good policy framework, with continued discussions and, um, and uh, tools to help school districts succeed. And that's really where CCSSO comes in and helping lead that discussion, uh, not only as chiefs, but with other partners across the nation as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, as we get ready to wrap up, we have um, one caller uh, that has called in from a 713 area code. Caller, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yes, um, go ahead with I have your a question. Two part question. I have a two-part question. The first, um, the first question I have for her is, um, how far into next school year or the following school year do you think we will be dealing with uh, repercussions from COVID? Uh, also, the other co question is, <clears throat> you know, some states have tied student performance into uh, teacher and leader evaluations. I wonder, you know, what implications if if we're going to still be dealing with remnants of COVID, 
in the years to come, how does that impact teacher and leader evaluation? Where are you hearing about those things? Yeah, so that's a great question, um, or two-part question, and um, I'll answer in order. Uh, the first question you asked was about how long will we be dealing with the repercussions of COVID-19, and I think it's permanent. Um, there is no going back to normal. Uh, you know, it's sounding cliche to say the new normal, but um, as I mentioned at the beginning, I think that there are some challenges um, that will profoundly change the face of education. Um, I think we'll be social distancing for a long time, and um, the effects of social distancing on students will be varied. Um, some students, it will spark fear. Some, it will spark defiance. Um, some, it will spark compliance, and some, it won't. And so, um, uh, you know, that's just one tiny example. Um, but I think that, that we will have a whole new set of, um, of repercussions and things to deal with as a result. And I'll tell you, um, sir, I think one of the most profound repercussions of COVID-19 is the um, social-emotional effect that it's having on our kids. What we know is that when students um, experience a traumatic event, they often come back to school and display, um, display that in negative behaviors that, that sometimes mimic um, ADHD, sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, you know, have all of the hallmarks of, of trauma. And um, so I think we're really going to need to brace ourselves to deal um, as an education system, as teachers, as social workers, that this is, these are our kids. This isn't um, a counselor problem or a social worker problem that we as teachers, as educators, are going to have to be much more equipped to um, recognize and identify trauma and, um, and really deal with it in a positive way for many years to come. Um, the second question you asked was uh, about teacher performance being uh, tied to accountability. And what we've seen um, as kind of a cascading effect of waiving accountability at the federal level is states doing the same thing. Um, and, and I don't exactly have a count on how many states have done that, but I know in our state um, we've also raised uh, waived statewide accountability in addition to federal accountability. So I think as educators, we need to really push for that. Um, but I also think that there's some grace being given by policymakers um, this year as we go through. I mean, policymakers, our legislatures um, understand that uh, this is just not a normal year when we can tie uh, teacher performance. Um, and I think that that is one of the important conversations that we need to continue having. Um, it was already on the front burner, and it should be more so now that, um, you know, that teachers have had to adapt to this new way of teaching and learning. Um, and, and should we be tying teacher performance to student, um, student achievement? And those are questions that need to be answered in every state. But, um, you know, we've seen the pendulum swings from, yes, it needs to be tied to, no, maybe, and now maybe that conversation will be no, maybe, or no, definitely, and here's why. And so I think it will really enhance that discussion uh, to a great degree, and I hope that that answers your question. Thank you. Thank you very much, caller, and uh, we appreciate your response. Very thoughtful. Um, so as I promised, it was going to be very uh, quick and um, it, is, it is certainly we ran over just a little bit but I appreciate you taking the time with us uh, again we have Superintendent Jillian Ballow from Wyoming 
who is the president of the Council of Chief State School Officers. Um, and we've had a great conversation about our next steps and things to think about uh, into the future of public education. And I think for me, the, the big takeaway for me today is that uh, you are uh, certainly relying heavily on um, what you're hearing at the local level and really depending on the local level to make um, important decisions around what they need and communicate what they need up the ladder, so to speak. Um, and that's refreshing, uh, certainly, to hear. Um, so thank you uh, for being here uh, and sharing with us. Um, I just want to say to the listeners out there that we have another show coming up this Wednesday. Um, and the topic that we just barely uh, touched on today about how the COVID-19 pandemic is going to affect children's learning, um, we have a researcher, Dr. Paul Van Hippel from University of Texas is going to make some predictions. Uh, he has a great deal of experience and expertise in looking at um, how uh, pandemics um, or, or traumatic events uh, impact children's learning. And so he'll be with us uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday. Um, and so we uh, look forward to having him on Wednesday the 13th. Um, but again, Jillian, it's been such a pleasure having you today, and um, I am uh, looking forward to uh, seeing what happens out there and, and appreciate everything that you and your, your colleagues are doing. And so until next time, go well, stay well. Thanks for coming. Thank you.